The FT. Turkey's Prime Minister Recep Tayyip Erdogan has just won his third elections in a row and increased his share of the vote, a remarkable achievement which gives him a strong mandate to launch a long-delayed overhaul of Turkey's constitution and tackle pressing issues of Middle East policy. On the line is Delphine Strauss, who's been covering the elections for the FT. Delphine, what are Mr Erdogan's initial priorities likely to be? Well, for the last few months, really, Recep Tayyip Erdogan has focused almost all of his energy on campaigning and on domestic policy. So now he really has to turn his attention urgently to foreign policy. And the first thing with that will be an urgent rethinking of Turkey's approach to Syria. There are now refugees from the regime's latest crackdown pouring across the border into Turkey. And the foreign ministry will need to put together options on that very quickly. There's also the potential for another confrontation with Israel quite soon because NGOs, both in Turkey and internationally, are preparing to send another aid facility to Gaza. And so the Turkish government will be very keen to make sure that this does not escalate into the same situation we had last year when there were both deaths and you know, very big consequences for Turkish foreign policy. So both quite difficult situations for Erdogan to respond to. Why is the situation in Syria especially difficult? Well, as Mr. Erdogan said last week, um, what's happening in Syria is almost an internal issue for Turkey. You know, they have an 800-kilometer shared border. There are thousands of refugees crossing that border at the southern end at the moment. There are important trade ties, and, you know, there are very immediate effects for Turkey. But also, the relationship with Syria was central to what Turkey's been doing over the last few years in developing a much bigger regional role. And Mr. Erdogan had gone to great efforts to mend a relationship that had been very difficult in the past. And he'd forged a friendship with Bashar al-Assad and was very reluctant to see those efforts go to waste. But, you know, now Erdogan has said that, you know, there's no way he can defend what the Syrian regime is doing. I think we've seen that despite repeatedly calling Assad and, you know, pressing for reforms, they've not actually managed to influence what the regime is doing. There's going to have to be a breach and Turkey's going to have to think very carefully about what that's going to mean for its relations with other countries as well, with Iran in particular and for for its broader policy in the Middle East. Turning to the economy, um, living standards have improved dramatically under Mr Erdogan's tenure, but there are some fears that the economy is overheating and heading for a hard landing. What kind of measures do investors hope to see from the new government? Well, it's true that a large part of Erdogan's appeal to to voters has been the economic transformation that's taken place under his tenure. But there are now some warning signs coming out. Um, Credit credit has been growing very fast despite efforts by the central bank to cool that down. And the current account deficit is heading towards something like 8% of gross domestic product, which is a level that's simply not sustainable. And while investors have given the government the benefit of the doubt up till now, and, you know, Erdogan's government has built up a lot of credibility in economic management over the last few years, now they really want to see measures to support the central bank in its efforts to cool the economy They want to see a tightening of fiscal policy. You know, that could be higher consumption taxes. It could be saving extra tax revenues. It could be regulating lending more tightly. You know, whatever it is, they want to see some action quite soon. And was there any sign before the election that this was the path that Mr Edwin would be likely to head down? Well, both the economy minister and the finance minister made some comments over the last couple of weeks that showed that, you know, they're aware of the situation and are considering what kind of measures might be appropriate on fiscal policy. What's not clear is whether Mr. Erdogan will be signed up to that. You know, a lot of his campaign was built around promises for big public sector projects, big developments. 
it didn't sound like austerity. On the issue of the constitution, which is what a lot of people have focused on since the election, he has promised to overhaul the constitution that dates back from the military government of the early 1980s. What changes is he planning and how difficult is this likely to be? Well, what's going to be absolutely critical to how he goes about it is the balance of power in the new parliament. His own Justice and Development Party has a majority, but with 326 seats, it's not going to be quite big enough to draft something unilaterally and call a referendum. They need 330 seats for that. So he could win a few defectors and drive something through if he just finds you know, another four people from other parties. But that could be a very contentious way to do things, and it could be quite hard to win a referendum under those circumstances. He could also look for an alliance with the Kurdish bloc, which is going to be much stronger in the new parliament. But again, that could prove quite difficult to sell to the public because many Turks in the west of the country are very suspicious of you know, dealing with militant Kurds. And so he may need to seek a much broader cross-party consensus, which is perhaps a coveted thing for Turkish democracy, but it could be quite a laborious and a fraught process. Erdogan's victory is incredibly impressive. I think he's the only leader in the Republic's history to win a third term in power with an even bigger share of the vote than he had before. And that gives him a very strong mandate to take forward reforms. But having said that, he's going to have to do it by consensus more than in the past. And we don't yet know if he's going to have the willingness to compromise and the incentives to do it to really drive things through. That was Delphine Strauss in Ankara. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Brien, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.